Hi there, House Culture listener. If you enjoy this episode or have enjoyed listening to other episodes in our series, please support and donate to us through the Acast Supporter feature. All donations will help us create the content that you love listening to. You can decide how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So it could be a one-off and every now and then or once every time you listen. It's really up to you. Click on the supporter link in the episode description and with Google or Apple Pay, it will take you less than 30 seconds to make your contribution. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hi, I'm Ashley Beadle. And you're listening to the House Culture Podcast, and I'm glad to be here. House Culture. Hi everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode in Season 2 of the House Culture Podcast. I'm your host and the Managing Editor at House Culture, Matt Rouse. Feels great to be talking to you live and direct, and with lockdown measures starting to ease... I'm hoping this taste of Clubland can get you excited for the feast that awaits us all. We've had tons of fantastic feedback for this second season, so I want to say thank you to everyone who has got in touch and wished us well. So many of you have already listened to our chats with the legendary Norman Cook, Ibethan icon Dawn Hindle, DJ and Colossus Tall Paul, purveyor of the happiest sounds in house music Sophie Lloyd, Melon Bomber Scott Gray, DJ Magazine's only ever number one female DJ Smoking Joe, Grammy-nominated producer The Scumfrog and Pike's resident DJ Paul Linney. Phew, that's a list I'm pretty proud of, to be honest, but believe me, there is plenty more to come. And if you haven't done already, don't be afraid to get yourself some dusty digital fingers by digging through our equally impressive back catalogue from Season 1. And there you'll find conversations with scenesters such as Brandon Block, Greg Wilson, Sally Rogers, Terry Farley, Fat Phil Cooper and many more. Also, if you've only just discovered this podcast and are wondering what house culture is all about, our credo is that we are a collective of house music fans who have come together through our mutual love of the beat to celebrate the spirit of house music. We're on Instagram at housecultureNet. So come join us on that virtual dance floor. We can come together to revel in all things related to this beautiful scene. Let's get moving with this episode, shall we? In this, we chat to artists, remixer, producer, and one-third of dance music supergroup Express 2. It's Ashley Beadle. In this chat, you can hear Ashley's take on how new musical movements are born. Let's be honest now, right? For any scene to work, it needs two things to happen. Musical advancement and drugs. If you've got ecstasy combined with Acid House, Jesus Christ, something's got to happen, right? 
Uh, some new friends helped him expand his already huge passion for music. That's where I met Terry Farley and Andrew Weatherall. And it was extraordinary times, you know, because all of a sudden, coming from black sound system culture, if you like, to these guys that are introducing me to, hold on, I don't know anything about these records. What are these records? What it was like being part of that dance music supergroup. Express 2 was a juggernaut. To this day, I, I, I can't get my head around it sometimes, you know, it was like, what? And you'll have to listen to the whole thing if you want to know which one of his productions he was talking about here. When you make a record like that, and that's where it ends up, in a film that Spike Lee's directed, you can go to fucking heaven happy. (laughs) This chat was recorded in one of Ashley's local pubs, remember those? So there's quite a bit of atmosphere going on that. If you haven't been lucky enough to get yourself out to one recently, will hopefully transport you to your favourite drinking den. So pull up a chair, grab a drink, get ready to listen. This is Ashley Beadle. House Culture. Hi, Ashley. Thank you so much for inviting us down to your manor. Thank you, Matt. I mean, no, thank you. And sorry about all the noise, everybody. <laughs> That's all right. We'll get round it. We're in a lovely, uh, a lovely pub down here in Ramsgate. It's got real atmosphere, and uh, yeah, it's a pleasure to to make your acquaintance. Yes. Um, you're obviously a famous DJ, producer, remixer, a member of dance music outfits such as Express Two. But we always like to kind of rewind and start at the beginning on the podcast and ask you, how did you first discover a love of music growing up? Uh, I've, I've, I've actually mentioned this many times before. A love of music, I think for me growing up, came through my parents. Uh, my dad was an avid record collector. Uh, my mum loved music purely from, I think, having a good time and dancing. But she had particular people she loved, which was a lot of gospel, the original kind of blue beat ska records, um, rock steady. Um, reggae Uh, my dad loved all that music as well but then obviously he upped his game and he was going into like rock records soul records you know classical records mad things and uh, there was stuff that my dad would play and I would like um, I would I would ask him you know who's that and my dad would go oh come over here and we'd sit down and then he'd go over the sleeve and you know oh it's produced by such and such that person played guitar that person played drums and from that I learnt probably the idea of how production worked Mm -hmm. by looking at these people on these records and it was in my later years I suppose when I hit about uh, probably about 12, 13, 14 and my dad got me a uh, a stereo for my bedroom and I think Capital Radio had just come along uh, and there was some quite interesting DJs on Capital Radio at the time mm. one of them being Nicky Horn mm-hmm. now he used to come up at 9 o'clock at night so you can imagine I'd come home from school have me bath <laughs> <laughs> do me homework lie in bed and wait for Nicky Horn to yeah. come on and yeah. extraordinary extraordinary radio shows if you like yeah. where you know Nicky Horn would be like hi everybody I'm flying in a helicopter over Colorado and I'm going to go and see Bruce Springsteen. Actually, Nicky Horn didn't have an American accent. That's just me. <laughs> but, um, you know, he'd be like, yeah, we're going to go and see Bruce Springsteen live. And da-da-da. You know, this is the future of rock and roll. And, yeah. you know, you'd be there lying under your bed covers thinking, oh, my God. You know what I mean? Yeah. What's going on here? Yeah. Uh, and I had moments, you know, like hearing 
um, Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run for the first time, running into my dad's bedroom, who happens to be stark naked at the time, <laughs> with my mother, and saying, come with me, Dad, and listen to this, you know. We, we both stood there, like, in awe of, my God, you know what I mean, what is going on? And, you yeah. know, and my dad went with the flow. He was, he was a big punk fan. He was into glam. Yeah. You know, it's fantastic growing up. Yeah. It was really beautiful. And also my mum and dad's friends of, of that era, of that age, mm. you know, were, were incredible as well. Um, yeah. So I was open to so much music. And then, you know, like a lot of us, we rebelled at a very young age, you know. And 14, 15, all of a sudden I became a, into my reggae, you know, and then decided, oh, I like a bit of reggae, but I'm going to be a soul boy as well. <laughs> Um, you know, so I had. So where? Sorry, where was this? This when you was were in Harrow. Up? So, and Harrow at the time, you know, in the seventies, was an amazing place. Mm. Okay, everyone talks about Harrow. They always think about the public school on top of the hill. But um, in its in its what were laid around it was all these amazing little nightclubs, where you'd have very famous DJs at the time, like Greg Edwards and Robbie mm. Vincent, Chris Hill. Yep. They'd all come to Harrow. You know, and uh, you had the Harrow Leisure Centre, where there was um, skating discos. So, you know, it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. You yeah. didn't have to go to London. Yeah. But then, I had um, my last year at school. I used to go to a place called Mount View High School, and my last year at school, I had a friend of mine, a very close friend of mine. Who, funny enough, I've just got in touch with many after not seeing him for many years. A guy called Terry, Terry Johns. And he took me to Crackers uh, on a Friday lunchtime. That mm. changed my life. Yeah. And that's where Farley, Terry Farley yeah. and all that used to go as well. Yeah. Paul Anderson, who's yeah. sadly passed away. But I met so many people there for the first time at Crackers. Yeah. You know, and that's where I first acknowledged, you know, the true ethic of what being a soul boy was and watching the dancing and... You know, walking away and going home and standing in front of the mirror yeah. and going, right, I can do that, I can do that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because I suppose at that time, that whole community, it wasn't really represented like visually in a way. Like you'd hear the music on the radio, for instance, but actually, I suppose going in there and witnessing the whole package, the dancing, the fashion, the music all brought together, I suppose that's a real kind of moment. Yeah, I mean, you know, there was so much going on. You know, there was things like the Case to Soul weekends, which came a little bit later. There was all dayers that we went to. It was incredible, absolutely incredible, you know. I mean, there's so many tales. I remember going to um, a particular club in, um, I think it was Oxford, Didcot, and uh, the, the, uh, the resident band in the club, Happened to be Haircut 100. And they were Soul Boys. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And there they were. And we, we, we were quite friendly with them. And then one day I remember switching on top of the pops and uh, there they were. Haircut 100. <laughs> like, well, how, how did you go from, you know, Didcot to top of the pops, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's just amazing times like that. People like Spandau Ballet, you know, mm-hmm. um, watching them in the early days, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. Then, then becoming massive. And people like... Um, Freeze, the yep. band Freeze. Yep. And I remember walking once in Chapel Market, very drunk and a little bit off my head, because I'd heard that Ingrid, the lead singer, lived there. <laughs> and I lived in City Road at the time, in <laughs> near Ox- Old Street. And I remember walking up Chapel Market going, Ingrid, 
about five o'clock in the morning <laughs> and uh, luckily not getting arrested so yeah i mean uh, being exposed to all of that and having that musical education like the sleeve notes and the understanding of the production and was there a will to get involved and pick up an instrument it's really funny actually because when i look back my 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 dad's side of the family were extremely musical mm. they had uh, a band called reflections which did a lot of the kind of um working men's clubs around Hertfordshire etc etc and they managed to get onto at the time a TV programme called Opportunity Knox yep. with Huey Green <laughs> they didn't win but it did open my eyes to the fact that you know yeah my family's alright here but I, I did get a pair of I did get some drums from my mum mm. because I was very percussive okay but what happened was my mum said you know you'll have to go downstairs and practice in the um the kind of community hall because mm-hmm. I don't want you making noise in the flat. It's fine. <laughs> and I went down there, took the drums down there, put them in the cupboard, and never touched them again because all of a sudden I found online the Mattel electronic drum kit. So that took over. I bought mm-hmm. that instead. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay. And that kind of coincided with the way music was changing from yeah. live bands yeah. to the ele- electronic disco sound, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, okay, this yeah. is how it works. Yeah. So I, I kind of started following that route rather than, you know, even though I still love bands, don't get me yeah. wrong, the idea of going into the studio and, you know, fiddling with boxes and making lots of noises, to me, appealed more. <laughs> more control over more that control, as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so you were kind of in that soul boy scene and there are so many stories around like we spoke to terry farley and like you hear like pete tong talk about it as well in terms of that seems to be kind of the natural progression into when house music exploded you know what do you think the soul boy scene and that community was the right place at the right time to take on the mantle of house music and push that forward when that exploded well i think (laughs) let's be honest now right for any scene to work it needs two things to happen musical advancement and drugs. Now, my lovely wife Joe, we've had many conversations about this, and I'm talking about Joe Wallace, by the way. She said to me, like, you know, when you went, because she's an original mod, you mm-hmm. know, and she also went to the Northern, you know, 76, she was going to Wiggins Casino. Yeah. And she said to me, you know, she can be there with the most amazing, if she doesn't mind me saying so, you know, the latest uh, black and blues or whatever the hell they were called, you know. And just departing her body mm-hmm. to these incredible records that Richard Serling would be playing, you know. And she was telling me about that. And I've always bugged her about, wow, you know. And she'd go onto YouTube and play me those particular records. And you can hear it there, why people needed to neck the latest high-grade speed and get on the floor to that. Yeah. While we decided to go first speed, not very good speed down this end of the world. But then, you know, ecstasy came along. My God, you know, if you've got ecstasy combined with um, acid house, Jesus Christ, something's got to happen, right? The heavens opened. Yeah, it absolutely did. You know, and um, I was absorbed, like a lot of us were, into a world that was just incredible. You know, we... I was in shock sound system at the time, Mm -hmm. so I got to give big respects to... um, Stanley, Dean, Cecil, Paul, Ricky, all the crew, Emix, Dirty Harry, all that lot. But, you know, Shock Sound System 
we started out doing rare groove hip hop etc like most of the sounds and we discovered house mm-hmm. uh, and we were lucky enough to do one of the rooms at the infamous Clink Street yep. now Clink Street was running exactly the same time as Shum what would happen was Shum would close at 2 bang all the Shummers literally walk over the road into Clink Street and we'd see people like Boy George and Mark Moore but the house was different yeah. the house music was different yeah. so in Clink Street the house music was blacker yeah. it was more Chicago yeah. it was more people like Kid Bachelor, Eddie Richards Mr C Shock Sound System were playing that you know and then these guys would come over from Shum which was obviously more Happy Happy Balearic Balearic brilliant music mm-hmm. but it was just weird yeah. how these two musics would exist you know yeah. and a lot of those guys that came over from Shum um, I became very friendly with and due to certain circumstances that we talk about later you know eventually I became onto that scene I mean it's interesting you make that distinction between kind of Shum and Clink Street like uh, kind of looking back everyone kind of says oh well, it's house music and it all came over and it was like a merging of Chicago sound and the Balearic sound and really they were two distinct sounds at that at that stage they weren't necessarily all encompassed under house no, no, music no 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 they were, they, they were definitely 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 I would say two distinct sounds mm. definitely you know I remember bumping in in the very early years to people like Nancy Noise and that yeah. and we'd be playing somewhere in Green Lanes at the arena you know we'll come on with house and Nancy was playing um, who's the Australian group Michael oh in excess in excess <laughs> need you tonight yeah and she was playing like the 12 inch mix of that and sledgehammer yeah Peter Gabriel and we were just standing there on the floor looking at her doing <laughs> not knowing that she was doing that she was playing those records at future yeah yeah you know yeah. and then it's only till later on we were beginning to understand oh okay yeah, it's more about, more about yeah. the context with those types yeah. of you know, types of records. This is what they were bringing back from Ibiza, you yeah, know, with, yeah, with yeah. what um, Alfredo was doing. Specifically, house music. What what your first exposure to house music? What are your indelible memories of that? Was it a club experience? Were you heard it on the radio? Or I can honestly say I was introduced to house music by Shock Sound System. Yeah, Stanley and Dean, I think, were very early. They caught onto it very early. Yeah. And they were going up north to, I think it might have been Leicester, to play against um, another sound system called Formation 5. Okay, yeah. I, mean, I hope I got that right. And then we, we used to go up there and play against them. And I, I used to go up really as a box boy, you know, helping carrying the speakers and that. And I remember hearing things like, you know, Adonis, No Way Back mm. for the first time. In my stupid head, <laughs> I'm thinking... God, this is reggae, but really fast. <laughs> I thought it was dancehall or something. I was like, what's this? <laughs> you know, I think, I don't understand it. Yeah. And then, you know, Stanley and Dean Zephyrin from Shock were like, Ash, you know, this is, this is house music, mate. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then we used to go to um, Jazzy M shop in Croydon. Yeah. And we'd go down there and he had, you know, he had Jazzy M and Jasper the Vinyl Junkie mm-hmm. working there. And uh, basically, that's when I started buying physical records, you know. So those records you were buying, you're, the first records you were buying were house music records? Um, no, before that, obviously, yeah. I was buying reggae and soul yeah, yeah. and rare groove. Yeah. You know, because um, I, I, I was lucky enough to be taught about those sort of styles by um, Roy Roach. Yeah. Because I had a Saturday job at Quaff in Finsbury Park before the whole house music thing, you know. Yeah. But... Uh, 
you know, once once the house music hit, that was it. Yeah. Uh, for me, you know, Frankie, Knuck Frankie Knuckles described house music as disco's revenge, and for me, it made that was the, that was for me. Oh yeah, okay, that yeah. that makes sense yeah. to me now. Yeah, yeah. I know? mean, in that era as well, disco in some circles was almost like a dirty word. It was like yeah. dead as disco. You know, it was this thing that had been done. Yeah. Um, but really, when you do look back on that through line of history, especially from America, where those that house music sound came from, it's all grown and nurtured from disco and disco yes. has had this massive kind of mm. resurgence and people are paying homage to that right yeah. so now I think yes yeah. absolutely it never, it's never gone away no it's never gone away and it never will along, as long as there's the people that are, 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 are trusted and willing to carry, uh, carry that vibe through it'd be fantastic yeah. you know yeah. So you've been buying records for Jazzy M, um, getting into that house music sound. Was this in a way of just you just collecting them as a collector, or were you? The no, game I, plan I was, was physically, I was physically buying them to DJ. Yeah, yeah. you know because um, Dean and Dean and um, Stan were teaching me the art of DJing. You yeah. know, which was good as well. You know how to cue a record, <laughs> how to beat mix a record. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, so. Um, that was that was fantastic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, how kind of quickly did you get the hang of it? And, you know, was it, uh, I need to get this down, I'm going to start DJing in clubs and get some gigs, or was it a No, I, to... I was happy being with the sound system. I was, I was very much a born natural, yeah. really, do you know what I mean? Um, I, loved, I loved being on the mic, which, which was a hangover from the, from the sound system as well. But um, unfortunately, with Shock Sound System, um, I had a, a, shall we say, a, a little stay with Her Majesty's Pleasure. So when I came out, part of my, um, what could you say, part of my, my, my bell conditions, if you like, mm -hmm. was, to <laughs> was to have a job. Now, I got offered a job at Black Market by Rennie Gelston, who was the, the owner at the time. And he said, but it's going to take a couple of weeks. We're going to have to try and get you a job in between the period before you start at Black Market. Um, I ended up at um, Pop Promotions, Boys Own, in the Boys Own offices, which is in Labour Grove. Mm -hmm. And, <laughs> and uh, it was myself, Darren Price, who I think had, might have had a little bit of time as well with Her Majesty. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we were there. And we were sticking records into mailers and posting them out, you know. And um, that's where I met um, Terry Farley and Andrew Weatherall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it was extraordinary times, you know, because all of a sudden, coming from uh, black sound system culture, if you like, to these guys that are introducing me to, hold on, I don't know anything about these records. Yeah. What are these records? And all of a sudden, I, I started to go out to places like um, Phil Perry's Queens, which is on Windsor Reservoir. And I went out there with uh, Wayne Shires, uh, an old girlfriend of mine at the time. Susie Jones introduced me to a lot of people. And it was quite extraordinary. You know, you'd be out afternoon in this kind of big dance hall on a reservoir, watching people off their heads going mad to, like, the most strangest records I think I've ever heard. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And, and just, I spent most of my time with a pen and a bit of paper going up to the decks i.e. if Andrew Weatherall was playing mm. and saying what's that mate yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and being really annoying yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah it's uh, it certainly had that taste um, selector style from yeah. very very early very early and they, yeah. they were they were playing some, and it really appealed to me because um, I was constantly I think even when I was a soul boy going back to that whole thing I got bored so quickly 
because it became a bit regimented. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I found Orange Juice. Their first ever single to this day sends me into states of ecstasy, you know. Mm. Brilliant record. Yeah. And it's, you know, Simply Thrilled Honey, it's called. And, uh, you know, for bands like A Certain Ratio mm-hmm. uh, and that. And, um, you know, in, a lot of kind of what I would classify now probably as indie funk, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It made more sense to me. And I was, so you could still dance to it. Yep. But it was a bit more edgy, yep. a bit more mental, you know yep. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, that was kind of creeping in. So when I was going to see people like Weatherall and Farley, Phil Perry, do you know what I mean? And, and all these other DJs who were playing this stuff, it for me, it started to make sense. Because all of a sudden I'm thinking, oh, right, OK, I can connect with that record now. Why yeah. they're playing that record yeah. because they were looking for something a little bit different as well. Yeah, I know. Obviously, we spoke to Terry on the podcast as well, and he talks about how they're almost always two years ahead of the curve yeah. in terms of that boy's own sound, and totally can see that looking back. Things like Boca Juniors and things now, they sound like absolute dance floor monsters, but back then, no one wanted that kind of sound at that time. Well, I mean, you know, they. They were they were they were hilarious that lot. They how they did things I don't know because they're all over the bloody shop. Um, <laughs> and I remember when Boca Juniors came into the office, you know, uh, and listening to it, and we're going, blimey, you know, what'd you do with that, you know? Yeah, yeah. But then the the incredible thing was when I got eventually to work at Black Market Records, mm-hmm. which was for about might have been a couple of years. I, that's where I really grounded myself in how dance music production worked but just by listening to the records mm-hmm. so you know I give special thanks to um, Rene Gelston and Dave Pacioni you know because Dave took it over after Rene the shop yeah. uh, and he was even Dave was allowing me to kind of find acts for him to put out on his Azuli label and getting records coming in from America and listening to these records and this was at the time I think when the whole US garage sound was coming into play Tony Humphreys you know all that kind of stuff was becoming very predominant in the clubs I love that shit (laughs) (laughs) trust me (laughs) that was you know and that's where I started meeting people like Phil Asher and that crowd and and realising oh this is the New Jersey sound yeah you yeah. know, I love this shit. That was kind of really beginning to impact on me and how I wanted to make a record. Then one day, to cut a long story short, I got sacked from Black Market <laughs> for being involved in a very uh, dodgy bootleg. Um, but that's another story. But rightfully sacked, I must say. Okay. I'll, I'll put my hands up. And thank you for Dave Pacioni for sacking me. What was the bootleg, can um, I ask? Mass order. Mm-hmm. Lift every voice, yeah. okay. which was uh, Billy, Billy and Chips, who were um, boys' own associates, shall we say, <laughs> <laughs> were involved, and I was involved in the distribution aspect of it. And uh, yeah, anyway, but um, cut a long story short, um, I, you know, I was sitting at home and I was really kind of a bit upset because obviously my job wasn't there with the record shop. And then one day I was down um, Cheapo Cheapos which is at the bottom of Brewer Street. And anyway, um, so I was in Cheapo Cheapos and um, Norman Jay's in there. And I kind of knew Norman from the sound system scene, you know. And he was up on the, the, the racks, on a ladder, pulling stuff up. And Norman turned around to me and said, look, 
you need this, Ashley. You really need this tune. If you like your disco, you need this. And it was the Tramps album, three, I think, Tramps three. Yeah. And it had Wherever You And The Lights Went Out in New York City. You know, I was like, oh, okay. So I got home and I put it on the decks, listened to the whole album. Then it got to Wherever You And The Lights Went Out. And I heard this section. I went, oh, my God. Right, okay. How am I going to do this? And I'd already that time made a, a very small production with a guy called Eddie Jones and another guy called Simon whose name I can't surname I can't remember but Eddie Jones was the brother of my girlfriend at the time yeah. and he had um, we, I think we were called the Psychic Vitamins and it was a real it was a breakbeat record with a Hendrix sample <laughs> yeah uh, and so that uh, that was really my first ever release you know yeah anyway um, so I, I was listening to this tune and then I thought right so the guy whose studio I think we used for Psychic Vitamins, I rang him up, and it was a guy called Danny Arno. Mm. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant producer and friend. He said, look, come over. So I then, I then rang up Rob Mello, who was working at Zoom Records then in Camden, mm-hmm. and, which was where the old Soul to Soul shop used to be. Yeah. And I said, Rob, man, should we go in the studio? And he's like, oh, all right, what are we going to do? And I told him, we went in. And how he did it, I don't know. And I think Rob Rob played the bass line, and that became uh, Black Science Orchestra, Where Were You? Yeah. And didn't think nothing of it. And because I knew Terry and Andrew and everyone at Boys Own, I said, look, I've got this dat. Can you have a listen to it? Yeah, bring it over. So I went up to the office, put it on, and they went, yeah, we'll have it. Really? Yeah, we'll have it. Okay. So eventually that came out as... Where Were You, Black Science Orchestra, four tracks on a 12, mm-hmm. you know. And I was really proud. I was like, wow, you know. And it was me, Rob, and another guy, John, that was involved, who was my flatmate. And uh, basically, didn't you know, it, it didn't really do a lot. Then, it, for some reason, in America, or in New York, I should say, Frankie Knuckles discovered it. And I'd gone over to the States... I think to do... I started to get DJing work and stuff, you know. Mm. But I'd gone over to the States and um, I was in this club and it was called uh, Cheetah and it was run by... Um, oh, God, I always get this wrong. Barbara, she'd done Beautiful People. She was affiliated. She had her own club at Cheetah and it was Barbara... I can't remember now. And anyway, so I was in the club and then there was... Um, Ben, ben, Benji Candelario, mm-hmm. big New York DJ, you know. And we were chatting, and he said, Man, he goes, You know, your record man, it's just like blowing up, man. And I was like, What are you talking about? And he's like, Your record's blowing up. You don't you know? I was like, What are you talking about? I got a clue. I mean, Frankie's broken your record, man. And I was like, Really? And Frankie was in the club that night. It was a Thursday night or something. And he put it on. And David Cole from Clivillers and Cole was kind of like the in-house keyboard player. So he used to play over the tracks as they were playing on record. And so he was doing it, and I'm like, wow, what's going on here, you know? Then Frankie came off to let someone else DJ for a little bit, and he was standing by the bar, and Benji said to me, look, do you want to go and meet Frankie? And I went, Frankie Knuckles, you know. So off we went over, he introduced me to Frankie, and Frankie looked at me and he said, 
you know, you the man that made that record, the Black Side Suckers, where were you? And I thought, yeah. And he went, no. I turned around to Frankie. I went, listen, Frankie, thank you for playing. He went, no, 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 Ashley. Thank you for making it. And that's wow. true. And we became very good friends after that. Oh, it's, yeah, such an incredible man. I mean, that record and just that whole Black Science Orchestra sound in general, it had that soulful American sound. Was there any surprise on that side of the Atlantic that some Brits had made this record? Yes, yes, there was, there was this huge kind of like, who is this guy? Why is he making records like this? Really? You know, because there was only a couple of us really... Um, Phil Asher, I would count him there, you know, and, uh, and and Rob Mello as well, who are really kind of making those homages, if you like, to the American sound. You know, when, when they were looking at us and seeing who we were, they were like, what? You know, and then eventually when we got on to um, the next release, which is New Jersey Deep, yeah, that EP, that, and then Frankie Knuckles, not Frankie Knuckles, um, Masters at Work, you know, Kenny and Louie broke it. They broke that tune. Um, and eventually, the, I think from that, uh, no ego intended. You know, they, that, that's when they realised, okay, the gauntlet's been thrown down here. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Because I think what we were doing, and I'm not talking about just me. I'm talking about all the British producers. You know, what we were actually doing, we were putting a very, very UK slant because of the other stuff we were listening to yeah. against these American records. You know, because we, we, you know, we were we, we, we were being immersed in a African music and so were they but we I think we took it on but then we were going into things like craft work and a lot of European stuff which yeah. they weren't yeah. but we were we were going, you know listening to Cosmiche or Kraut Rock is what people call it yeah but uh, we were listening to a lot of that as well so that was kind of becoming evident in our productions yeah. you know yeah I mean, you mentioned New Jersey Deep. I mean, that track, to me, is almost timeless in its composition, its instrumentation. It's really lush. It's got a breakbeat on it. You know, it still gets reaction now. Mm. Um, I, was the feeling when you made that, um, obviously the first four-track EP, Black Science Orchestra, you were kind of happy to, to, get, yeah. to, to get that out there. And then Frankie Knuckles takes it on. It's amazing. And then the next one, was there the pressure on yourself to deliver... A New Jersey Deep, something that good, or no, was it just no, no not at all. The, the ignorance all. of youth and just yeah, it just was ignorance it. totally, you know. And I and, and you know, I found the sample uh, wood, brass, and steel, mm-hmm. uh, which is cleared now. <laughs> um, but I found the sample, and um, I, I'm not joking. We we you know myself, Mark Wolford, Ushi Clarkson was in the studio, and we hooked that we hooked that groove up in three hours. Trust me, three hours. Wow. And it took about an hour to mix. You know, we, we, we were so on fire. Yeah. You know, what we were doing. Yeah. So on fire. I think, I think the whole EP was, we did it in two days. And walked out the studio, you know, and just said, yeah. that's, that's a killer. Yeah. That's, that's the speed we were working at then. When I look back, I don't regret anything regarding production. Mm. That's what they sounded like. They sounded like dub plates, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, once New Jersey Deep had finished, I think that's when kind of we did strong which i did with phil asher mm. and Lindsay edwards who was a, a guy i was working with at the time we did strong that didn't sell as much but now people are now looking at that as, as that was a very interesting record um and i think i was trying to get a bit more esoteric um and then steve hall at uh, boys own who was kind of a and r heading it over there he said can you do an album <laughs> <laughs> i was like what's that <laughs> So, you know, 
Off We Went did the album as well, which ridiculously consisted of samples. Uh, and then he sent me back in the studio and said, look, we can't clear these. Oh, can you copy them? Can you do interpolations? And I went, yeah, yeah okay, we, we can. So we did, and then came out with the, you know, Walter's Room album. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, well, as, as you know, and probably lots of other people know, you know, this is all going on. And at the same time, Express 2 was happening. Mm -hmm. uh, Ballistic Brothers was happening. Mm -hmm. You know, Express 2 was a juggernaut. Yeah. How, to this day, I... I I can't get my head around it sometimes, you know, it was like, what? I just want to talk about that specifically. Um, obviously, you're one of the founding members with Rocky and Diesel. Uh, how did you first meet those guys? Was it just in, a, in and amongst the, the <coughs> Rocky boys? And Rocky and Diesel I met at the, um, the Windsor Club, Queens, mm. <coughs> um, because they were, in, they were in a fanzine. I think the fanzine was called um, Fresh Air. I think it was called that. I mean, Rocky and Diesel could correct me. Uh, and I remember seeing them in the fanzine first because they were a duo. And I thought, oh, they sound interesting. And I think it was a track listing of the tracks they were playing at the time. Yeah. And they happened to be in, in Queens, and I introduced myself, you know. Anyway, cut a long story short, once again, um, Terry, once I'd done Black Science Orchestra, the first EP, Terry said, oh, Rocky and Diesel want to go in the studio. You're a producer. Can you go and help them? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, and I was laughing my head off because I thought, well, I'm not really a producer. What do I do here? So it was literally in those days, I remember turning up to the studio with a bag of records, Rocky and Diesel as well, you know, and just sampling the shit out of records and getting ideas. Uh, and, and when we did Music Express, mm. I, I remember got totally freaked out, flipped, and left Rocky and Diesel in the studio and went home. And left them there, you know. What before they before, before you created yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I left them there. And uh, the next day, we all went back into the studio. I think I'm telling it correctly. And Rocky said, oh, "I think we've got something here." And I listened to it. And I was like, "Oh, yeah, okay, okay, okay." And then um, you know, pretending to be a producer. Um, and the next thing, they said, "Well, look, why don't we give it to Fabi Paras, who was a big DJ at the time?" So they got an acetate cut gave it to Fabi and Terry Farley and Fabi went off to do a gig up north somewhere I think mm. next day we get this phone call from Fabi bloody hell <laughs> <laughs> it's mental <laughs> what's mental the tune yeah. this bloody Express 2 record so oh, it, was, it, was, it was hilarious so Terry, Terry had already kind of decided that <laughs> He would, because it was Rocky and Diesel, he, he was like he was really into the name S Express, yeah. Mark Moore's group. So he said, Oh, we're gonna call you Express too, Rocky and Diesel. And you, Ash, can be the silent partner. I went, All right then, because you you know, you're black science orchestra, you can't really be, you know. I was like, fair enough, you know. But then eventually, you know, I I they did everyone said, Oh look, you might as well be Express too, but there's three of you. That confused people, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then, you know, so, yeah, Music Express, London Express, which yeah. is a bonkers record. Yeah. Um, Say What, which was Terry deciding to... Terry Foley's idea of marrying Go-Go and House. <laughs> and that went to number 13 in the national chart. Yeah. yeah. And then, obviously, we had a few more singles which didn't, which didn't do as brilliant. But And then, obviously, we, we got to the point of um, creating Lazy. 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, I mean, musicism, uh, that album during that period as well, that kind of like late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. And I'm really jumping ahead here, but we can, we'll continue the Express 2 bit that album contains lazy it's got smoke machine on it it's got acdc on it musicism the two mixes of that that came out are awesome you know it's absolutely stacked up you know was it just again just going in the studio for a few hours and whacking them together or was there real foresight in terms of wanting to create a dance music album i think i think i think there was a real there was a real foresight i think into wanting to create i think there was a lot of the at the time there was the Miami Music Conference was seeping into everyone then. Yeah. Uh, and, and Rocky Rocky definitely was a big fan of... Um, uh, I, I don't think I went to the Groove Jet parties. Danny Tanaglia. Yeah. And um, Rocky was a big, big fan, and Diesel was as well. So they, they were bringing that to the table, you know. And I would... And because of my... Uh, at the time, I was really getting into the whole production outside of Express 2. Yeah. So I was bringing that to the table as well, you know. So and we were recording in a studio that I owned at the time. So um, all my records were in there. So it was brilliant. We could go, all right, we'll have a listen to that, you know. And Rocky and Diesel equally would have brilliant ideas to bring to the tracks, you know. And uh, uh, we we were anarchic. We just didn't care, you know. And I mean, Lazy, for instance, started off as a li- like a little mad tune, yeah. and uh, it was myself and Rocky over a, a Prince-type beat, going. Um, I can actually remember. He goes, "I got your number. I got your number, baby. I got your number. You know, you drive me crazy." And that was it. And James Brown, who was our engineer, this guy, he turned around. Lovely, lovely guy, by the way, engineer, uh, Australian engineer. He was fantastic. Very funny. And he turned around and he went, that sounds a bit like uh, Talking Heads. And I went, 
that's it. And he was like, yeah, and Rocky went, that's it. And the funny thing was, David Byrne had already contacted the Ballistic Brothers a while back. No way. Because he wanted to work with us as a live band. And we had to explain to him that we didn't exist. <laughs> it was a total studio project. Yeah. And he, he, you know, and he totally understood. And he said, oh, well, maybe one day we'll work together, you know. But I still had his details. So I, I contacted him. And he said, look, send the track over. A couple of weeks, this thing came back. And it was lazy. And we were like, he's made a dance record about being bloody lazy. How'd you do that? <laughs> and it took us a few months to construct the piano with a guy called Pete Zed. Yeah. To construct the piano and get the whole structure of the sound right. Yeah. But, you know, Rocky turned around to me. I distinctly remember this. And he said to me, um, it's going to be a big club hit. I went, no, it's not. That's going to be big. Yeah. That's, that's big, mate. Yeah. You know, it's got a number one as well. Number it? two. Was it number two? Yes, we were kept off the top by Gareth Gates <laughs> doing Spirit in the Sky, but we sold more than him. There you go. Well, that, yeah, you're the ultimate winners in the battle with Gareth. Yeah. Oh my god, that's incredible. Uh, yeah, it's still such. I mean, obviously, you've chosen your five tracks for us, which we'll talk about soon. Yeah. And I listened to them all on the way down, and like just hearing again that track, Lazy just in in headphones and just the depth of it is yeah it's still got so much going on in it that yeah. i hadn't heard it in in that in my headphones for so long mm. um yeah it's still great but yeah i mean i remember um back in those years it was a group of us used to put on kind of small scale dj events in london and uh, a friend of mine who was well known for always wanting to play last and play the bangers he ended up playing like the warm-up one time and he was like okay i'm gonna play a warm-up set and we're like right okay you play your warm-up set then and the first track he put on was express 2 acdc <laughs> that's not a warm-up <laughs> we're like is this your warm-up track yeah, oh my god like, oh my god this is but, my yeah. ballad <laughs> Amazing. I mean, and as an entity as well, Express 2, when, when you played live, and I had seen you live a few times over those years, um, you know, there were all of you behind the decks, like four, five, six decks on the goal at once. It was a real performance. Mm. Like, how did you kind of, like, navigate that when you're all together up there? In well, you had to have, you had to have a, 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 friendly demo, a friendly dictator, yeah. which was Rocky. Yeah. So Rocky was in the centre. I was to the... So if I'm facing you... I was to the right, and then Diesel was to the left of Rocky. Yeah. So Rocky would start it, then it would go over to me, and then I would signal, and we'd have our, we'd have our little secret signals, then over to Diesel, yeah. and then that's how it worked. Oh no way! You know? Yeah. And then and then would be like Rocky would say, "Look, I'm gonna play maybe an extra record." Yeah. Was it democratic in terms of track choices? Were there surprises, or were you all kind of semi-agreed? Semi-agreed, I yeah. think. Yeah. yeah. There were there were moments when Rocky would. Rocky was the one that would pull something out, I think, and you go, how did you do that? You know, it'd be something like a cut-up of Mark Boland, get it on. And he would do it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And you'll go, wow. Yeah. You know, where did that appear from? He goes, oh, yeah, mate of mine put this together the other day, you know. It's something like that. Yeah. You know, or we'd, or we'd, get, we'd, we'd hear something like um, a good friend of ours at the time, um, Matt... Uh, I can't remember his recording name now, but he, used to, he did that... Um, Get what you give, that you know the big. You better get what you oh, give. Oh yeah, Don't. yeah. He yeah, did a cut yeah. up of new that. New radicals, yeah, yeah, yeah. new radicals, mm. and we had that for ages on dub plate. Yeah, <coughs> killed him. Yeah, you know when we had our residency at um, Fabric. Yeah, 
we were killing it in there. You mentioned fabric, and obviously when that they had some issues where the place got shut for a bit, and there was a whole outpouring of emotion around the club community that kind of rallied around and did rescue rescue the club. Obviously, having been a part of that, the part of the fabric of fabric. Um, what were your feelings on that when that happened? Um, I thought it was really wrong. I thought, I, I, to be honest with you, um, I thought it was just government persecution. Basically, there was there was there was a lot of behind the scenes activity. There was a lot of new places, shall we say, being built, and property developers was, were um, with money were going to the local council to the government. And I think words were said. I personally think that. Yeah. And I think the fact that someone had passed away outside the club, mm-hmm. shall we say, because of drug use or whatever, was used as the scapegoat. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Could have happened anywhere. Yeah. I want to talk to you about um, your production and your remix work and everything. Um, I mean, you're, you're really well known as someone who can deliver an amazing remix or sometimes re-edit as well um, you work with some greats I'm thinking like Elton John uh, the Bob Marley family yeah. particular favourite of mine of yours is your astonishing remix of Always by Ben Ben yeah which, that's the that's that the, the happy albatross around my neck <laughs> shall we <laughs> sorry to bring it up yeah no it's it's you know I, I've lived with it now and I, I've, I've fallen in love with this again you know that one and the mix I did for the streets. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, they're they're records where, you know, I, I'm one of those people. I'm a great believer in spirit. I'm a great believer in stuff falling out of the sky on a particular day. And when I did those mixes, that's what happened. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You just had, everything just seemed to mathematically be right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like boom, there you and, go. And when you approach uh, just a remix, I suppose in general, is it? just a blank sheet of paper each time or are you like okay I'm like what's your kind of workflow in I always believe in in the structure of the original track having to be there mm-hmm. whether or not I get rid of everything is another matter yeah. but um, it has to complement what the original track was about the feeling the uh, whatever that the artist was trying to get over yeah. that has to be the point yeah. um, with with a lot of the stuff I do now um, I tend to do a little bit of homework because the way I work with my partner Darren Morris and also with Joe, my wife um, we tend to um, we find stuff on Spotify for instance as ideas and then we'll flip them between each other you know and go oh yeah if we could do the chord progression like that and blah 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 so that's how we're working now yeah. and also um, Joe Wallace um, my wife she has four record labels so we have F Star Clear that's the house label so that's now getting into a position of where people like Francois Kevorkian now are becoming big fans then we've got um, Ramrock Red now Ramrock Red is uh, jazz hip hop rock left field stuff and that's now beginning to take off Ramrock Blue is Soul um, that's not as frequent as the other releases but that deals with a lot of gospel 
Uh, and then we have Ramrock, which is the original label. That's reggae. <laughs> <laughs> the whole breadth there. Yeah. 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 And uh, Ramrock, the original label, um, started off as a kind of like um, satellite for Adrian Sherwood. Yeah. Some of the stuff that you couldn't put out on Warp Records, yeah. he used to give it down to us. Yeah. So, but we're still going to be working with Adrian as well, yeah. which is great because he only lives up the road from us. <laughs> why not? Fantastic. Why not? And he's an old friend as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, Joe was kind enough to send me some of the promos and yes, things that yes. are coming out soon. And yeah, um, there was... Uh, the Glenn yeah. Davis. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. Yeah, that's the one Francois has gone bonkers over. Yeah. Uh, Africans and Mars is a project that's becoming... Me and Darren are kind of growing into it, is the best description. Mm. Uh, and we will be putting out an album, we will be putting out a series of singles. But it's, it's, it's a kind of... Um, I think Africans and Mars is me and Darren becoming like Martian superheroes. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Um, and we've developed this thing, a whole kind of comic structure, uh, like Marvel, I suppose, about what Africans and Mars are about. So that's being developed. Um, there's an album actually done with uh, uh, Kurt Wagner from Lamb Chop uh, and um, Cosmo, who does the loft parties. She's my manager's... Um, Mrs. Mm-hmm. and she uh, she's involved with the album as well from monologue etc so I'm I need to go back and have a quick brush up with that but apart from that that's kind of near enough ready to go yeah awesome so, look forward yeah, to hearing yeah, that. yeah that's really it's quite it's going to take a lot of people by surprise because it's very ambient yeah it's not a it's not a a record to um, go running around clubs to you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I mean, I talk for myself here, but uh, certainly as I've gotten older and been a fan of the scene, you know, my BPMs, they, they, yeah. like, uh, they've slowed down over the yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, you know? totally. You know, I just, we just wanted to make an album that people could lie on the floor to, basically. <laughs> like the sound of that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, talk about kind of re-edits and things as well. I mean, you put out um, the album a few years ago now, uh, Message in the Music, yes. um, which is the collection of kind of remixes and re-edits and things like that. I'm thinking of stuff like there was the one you did, Panama. Yes, uh, Kate Bush running up that hill, yeah. like those ones. Um, like, were, were you a fan of those tracks originally? Like, how oh, did I have you, to be. How did was it like? It's I'm like going to do an edit of this, or did they just come to you and see like Ashley? Can you do yeah, it? Yeah, I have. To, I, yeah, I have to be a fan of a track to do an edit, and yeah. the whole edit thing. You know, it's fun. It's a lot of people. There's a huge amount of arguments now about it. I don't do as many as I do, mm-hmm. but there's a huge amount of argument because. People like Francois Kavorkin are saying, look, the re-edit thing originally was about an extension of an idea to be played in the clubs so people could, under- could dance longer, you know? Yeah. Fair enough. And that's a really good ex- an idea. And that's where I'm coming from. So, you know, and sometimes you make the edit shorter because there's a part in it that you don't want in there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You just want the nice parts. Um, but I tend to make edits now because... Um, uh, my heavy disco parties and the heavy disco label and we make edits really just for that now they're like dub plates you know what i mean so i do i'm only doing probably a couple of legal edits now per year you know um because to be honest with you and shoot me down if you want but a lot of edits being done now is just a pile of shit you know they're awful they're badly eq'd they're not done properly and i think people have lost the the idea of how to actually do a re-edit in terms of, okay, do them on a computer, which I do do, because I used to do them on tape with a blade. 
you know, but do them on a computer, but you still got to think logically how this works if you had a tape and a blade, how that would fit that would fit with that, you know. And what's what's the bit that makes people go, woo, you know, that's what it's about. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that um, there is so much out there in terms of edits and what they're originally, what kind of piqued my interest about them like a few years back was, oh my goodness, all of these tracks that I could never DJ before that I was always a fan of, I can suddenly play a longer version of, it's quantized or whatever. But yeah, like you say, there is, you have to really sort through a lot of like, someone's just whacked a real hard well, a lot of four four beat on the back. Yeah, of this, I can't just, stand yeah. it. You know, and all my edits I try and do in Logic yeah. without. Um, uh, you know, what, what do we call it now? It's expression now, where you where you set it to timing. I don't do that. It's ears. Yeah, it's ears. You know. Yeah. So if you play my edits, pretty much you'll see a BPM change going on as the track goes on. Yeah. You know. And it really spoils it for people who try and mix it. <laughs> I think you need that looseness, yeah. don't you? That yeah, yeah. version of Sequoia that um, you know you don't necessarily get just from an output from a computer. No, no, exactly. So yeah, but I've just finished doing um, Rare Pleasure, who were a, a 70s disco group, mm-hmm. and I've just yeah. someone has found a company called HHO. Have just found a load of unreleased stuff of theirs. Rang me up. And they, they did an incredible record called Let Me Down Easy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's the Needing You sample. Needing You yeah. sample, yeah. And uh, they rang me up and said, look, we found this all unreleased shit. And I was like, wow. And they sent it to me and I was like, okay, let's go. But they had to master off of um, um, an acetate because they didn't have, actually have the tape. Right. Uh, but the acetate was a good master. Yeah. And then I've gone in and obviously cleaned it up and redone it. And yeah, so that'll be, that'll be coming out at some point. In the next couple of months, yeah. I look forward to hearing that as well. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you're involved in all of the record labels that you're involved in. You mentioned um, all cover all kinds of different breadths of genres and everything. You know, it's not necessarily all about dance music. You know, it's funk, soul, reggae, etc. Yeah. I mean, what are your, do you think the scene as a whole, uh, in terms of all, kind, all that kind of dance music encompassing everything, do you think is in a healthy place at the moment compared to where it might have been? Or what, do you, what, are, you, and what are your thoughts on the future? I think, I think um, do you want my honest opinion about this? Because I have by this conversation all the time. It's in a very healthy place. The only problem being is um, there's no scene, i.e. there's not a tribe. There's yeah. not a collective to carry the movement or carry the music around. Yeah. So I'm sitting with you, for instance. You'll tell me about a particular record, and we can talk about it, but there's no club that necessarily will be playing it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Everything's kind of shifted online. Records, yes. You know, there's no community within the record shop. No. But the community is kind of, you know, it's out there, but it's like smoke. Yeah, <laughs> and I think it's a real shame, you know, and um, everything's online now, everything's yeah. online. And I am sadly as guilty of, you know, because if I need to buy certain records now, where do I go online? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it keeps, you know, I'll buy directly from record shops, but because I live in Ramsgate, 
it's easier for me to just go online and order yeah. and they get delivered the next day, you know, yeah. whatever. I mean, and where's that kind of next generation that will learn from the sleeve notes of yeah. physical albums they can hold in their hands? Yeah. yeah it's, it's, a lot, it's a lot harder to research this stuff now, I think. Yes. As much as it's easy online to get online and, and find the information, you actually actively have to go out and seek it rather than having it in your yes, hands. Yes, exactly. Um, what have you got coming up that you're excited about? Black Science Orchestra. That was my next question. <laughs> Potential reunion is no, what it's I've happened. Down. It's, it's happened. happened. It's happened. Has it yeah. really? Myself and Rob Mello. Yeah. So it's Love happened. It. Yeah, and uh, it's we've we've already we've already started recording uh, a track which is with Amy Douglas. Mm-hmm. Um, so that will happen. I mean, I don't mind announcing that because by the time this comes out, people will be aware. Yeah. But um, yeah, we, 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 we've got together and we've actively started recording, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna do what we never did before, which was Black Science Orchestra never DJ, so we're gonna DJ, and we're also gonna take it out live as well, which will be fantastic. You know, we'll have a musical director, strings, the whole lot. So yeah, oh, incredible. Yeah, I just got Robert Bank. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, if you build it, they will come, hopefully. They will come, yeah, 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 yeah. exactly, yeah. Oh, but, fun. yeah, so that that's going to be, um, that's the, yeah, the Black Science Orchestra, and there's an Ashley Beadle solo album, which is probably going to be a mini album rather than a full piece. It's, it's going to be probably a six-track album, just as a kind of reflection of how my head is at the moment, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's something that's, I'm talking to one particular label I won't, can't give away yet, but they're very well respected and uh, he's a very good friend of mine who runs a label so okay. yeah cool well I'd be interested to see how that develops yeah um, and yeah so we always ask for five tracks for submissions for our Spotify playlist our yes perfect playlist is with the, that we're building and there are five obviously themes I'll put them down here for you so in case you might not remember what they are (laughs) (laughs) war stories yes Yes. so um just kind of a little i suppose thumbnail sketch of your experience about these tracks um the first one obviously is always the catalyst yeah well we we spoke of music yeah yeah, we spoke about this earlier didn't we We, we, it's adonis no way back which came out on the chicago house label tracks yeah yeah uh and that really for me and I've said this so many times, was the, even though I, I'd probably heard house music prior to that, that was the, the particular record that made me go, oh, this is house music, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And is that the first record where someone mentions Jackin? Uh, he says, too far gone, there's no way back. Yeah, know that yeah. One. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah. Um, okay, so the next one is the floor filler. Hard drive uh, deep inside, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I've got my own there's from the Kenny, very beginning there's a Kenny Dope mix that um, came out and I did my own edit of it and it lasts about 11 minutes long and I've done an intro of about 3 minutes of just deep inside deep deep <laughs> down inside it's, it's an extraordinary record yeah. and for me um, you know I'm a huge fan of Masters of Work always have been uh, and Louis and Kenny when they were on top of the game they still are yeah. But they do their own thing separately, I suppose, now. But that, that for me, is, is when you play it, um, 
it just brings so much joy to a room. Yeah. You know, everyone knows it. Yeah. It's a big girls' tune as well. I love it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, it, well, and it's you have to have them, don't you? Yeah, and it samples Barbara, whose name we couldn't remember. Well, I want to say Barbara Tucker. But... Barbara Tucker. Yes. That's it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, Perfect. I think it samples beautiful people, doesn't yes. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and um, and uh, I think it's probably been brought to a whole new audience as well now because Kanye West sampled it, didn't he? In, yes. Um, Fade, which samples another Acid House record. As That's well, right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's one of those ones that makes you sit up and take notice when yes. you hear that sample. And a sunsetter is Mama unmask me. Yeah, I mean now so beautiful that. Track. Very, very, very lucky because my one of my good friends is Hannah Holland. She lives in Margate, not far mm-hmm. from here, and um, she approached me about doing the remix. Um, or was it me that approached her? Can't remember. Anyway, <laughs> whatever. Straight away I knew this is a classic. Uh, and I did the mix, gave it back to Hannah, and she went, oh, my God, this is wonderful, you know. And so I got to thank Hannah for, the, for, the, um, for allowing me to do it. Um, and then Andrew Weatherall... Um, contacted me as he always does when he hears one of my records and he likes it <laughs> um he said ash you know this is awesome and he said um i'm doing a convenenza is it convenenza the festival yeah. he does yeah and he said uh, i'm gonna play at the end of my set and he goes uh, this is so true and he went i'm gonna have a little dance to it and we're gonna get him to film it and he did and it was um extraordinary and the the, the feedback that came off of Facebook and you know social media in general of Andrew there in his um, you know stripy crew neck yeah. just going out and swooning to this bloody record you know yeah. and it, I think it's uh, for me uh, it's fitting I think for um, how can I say it the, the, the departing of Andrew to another planet do you know what I mean? Um, because uh, he was a very dear friend and um, a great supporter, believe it or not, of my music. And I was a great supporter of this. Even though people were thinking, hey, how does that work? But trust me, if you're into music, you're into music. And it doesn't matter what genre, whatever. You know, Andrew was a great believer in the, uh, the force of music, what it could do for people, you know? Yeah. So with that you know for him to support mama and he you know was was a beautiful thing and I, and I was really really proud to be involved in in actually remixing that track and also for um you know Darren Morris my partner studio partner because you know he played a large part in bringing that to life as well yeah yeah, yeah. And I think that that Andrew Weatherall video you mentioned I think it's it's going to be an iconic moment I yeah. think that will live on yeah yeah absolutely yeah and well, just easily segue into the tearjerker. <laughs> don't make me cry. <laughs> sorry, I'm not, we have had people cry, so don't um, worry if well, um, you do shed now, a tear. But I, I, I'll, I'll start at the beginning here. I, I have um, uh, one of my my ex partners or ex wife was um, um, Katie Ellis, who who works for Anglo Management, and uh, she was a very good friend of. Uh, I think she wasn't. I don't know if she was managing. Holly Johnson she was involved in his career anyway at the mm-hmm. time I became quite friendly with Holly yeah. um, and you know I was a big fan of um, Frankie Goes to Hollywood I love Frankie Goes to Hollywood amazing yeah. amazing and um, 
anyway, over the over the years, me and me and Fro Holly would talk quite a lot over the phone, you know. And one day, this appeared. Follow your heart, the Frankie Knuckles and Eric Cupper director's cut. And I was smitten by how beautiful and incredible. Uh, I'm not quite sure. I think it might have been the last track Frankie Knuckles ever did. Yeah, that director's cut series was certainly yeah, yeah, yeah. at the end. And there was a moment I did uh, festival number six. Mm -hmm. uh, Joe was up there with me. And uh, I'd done a, what I would, you know, oh, fuck it. I did an outstanding set. <laughs> <laughs> And I played this Follow Your Heart as the last record. And um, a religious experience happened. Definitely did. And I won't say, you know, you know, fuck where I come from in terms of the religious attitude, but I, I had an experience. What not, I don't know what was going on, but I remember I turned around to Joe and I was crying my heart out, you know, and it was just that I think what Frankie, what, what Frankie did musically and what Holly Johnson said lyrically summed up everything for everybody at that particular point. Yeah. You know, the kids that were dancing, the old schoolers who were backstage, everything. Yeah. Uh, everyone just looked at each other and went, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, it, it, I, I always use this word a lot. It's become my go-to word, but... It was an extraordinary, still is an extraordinary record, and I will never stop playing it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. it's yeah, it's it's got everything. It's yeah. got a real Frankie Knuckles, Eric Cupper sound to it. Really soft, but yeah. driving. The the vocals and the lyric is so yeah. positive and uplifting. And yeah, it's just got Holly Johnson singing it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can't get better, can you? You can't, you can't. And he's a, he's an absolutely lovely man. Yeah. You know, so all praise is due to um Holly and all praise is due to Frankie and Eric Cutler. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um and okay, so it's the end of the night. One more tune. We've talked about it already, but I don't know if there's anything more to say about it. But uh, Well, I, I, you know what? It's it's one of those and it's um yeah, it's lazy express too and uh you know, very, very proud to be involved in a team, if you like, that made that record. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, and I'd like to give my extreme thanks to um, David Byrne and um, Rocky and Diesel. You know, and David Byrne, we, we, we've talked post it, you know, and he's a very funny guy. Very, very funny guy. But um, we did hear... now. Um, this will I don't know when the, the film's come out so when this interview comes out yeah. it might be of been but we did get a call from um, my publishing company BMG mm -hmm. uh, about four or five days ago and they said can you agree to Lazy being used in a film called American Utopia and I said uh, okay I think so let me think about it yeah and they said, oh, you know, well, David Byrne's given his permission already. And we're like, oh, okay. So I, I spoke to my manager, Adam, you know, and told him about it. And he called me back and he went, you, you do know it's David's film, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> and I was, he said, it's David, David's last tour yeah. of, you know, which he did. And Lazy's in the film. But then we found out who the director was. 
Spike Lee. Oh my god! So um, you cannot say no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that for me was was the final. You know, the grace of God came down. I was like, well, yep, yeah, lazy. It, it's finally reached the point it's meant to have made. Yeah. And Diesel said to me uh, a couple of days ago, you know, prior to this interview, he said that, um, you know, when you make a record like that, and that's where it ends up in a film that Spike Lee's directed, you can go to fucking heaven happy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah that's fantastic um the final question we always ask is we've kind of almost covered it in a way but i don't know if you want to add anything more to it you've obviously been involved with house music and the culture of dance music across multiple genres your whole career what what has it brought to you in your life and how do you feel about it kind of looking back at the um, of work you've got let's say something and i'm going to say that only the one sentence yeah it saved me. And that's it. Bang. Perfect place to end. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so awesome. much. Now, are you hungry? House culture. You gotta love that mic drop at the end there, right? Ashley Beadle, what a lovely guy. When I told people that knowing that I was interviewing him, everyone said how nice he was and I can honestly say it was an absolute pleasure to chat to him from start to finish. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Also, I must say this interview was recorded back in February, a few days after the sad death of one of Ashley's musical mentors, Andrew Weatherall. Obviously things were still a bit raw, but I want to personally thank Ash for taking the time out to sit with me as well as tell a few stories about the great man. It's massively appreciated. Now, if you want to listen to that soon-to-be iconic Unmask Me track that got Mr. Weatherall dancing behind the decks, or even hear any of the tunes we discussed in our chat, you can find them all and much, much more on our playlist on Spotify. All you need to do is search for House Culture Perfect Playlist, and there you'll find not only the choices from Ashley Beadle, but from every guest we've had on both seasons of the podcast so far. There's all kinds of stuff in there covering every facet of house music culture, so give it a shuffle, turn it up loud. Once you're listening to that, please help support this podcast by loving, liking, tweeting, sharing and rating or reviewing us on Apple. Please. It's really important. It does make a difference. So get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. If you say something nice enough, we could give you a mention on a future episode. Which is why I'm going to say a massive thanks to Rupert Bradley from the US, whose review on Apple says that as he is learning to DJ himself, knowing the background of the music he loves goes a long way. Well, Rupert... This is what this series is all about. And I wish you the very best of luck as you embark on your dance music journey. And if you want to join us on our own voyage, please hit up our Instagram feed at HouseCultureNet or follow the hashtag TrueHouseCulture. Not only will you be fully informed about the podcast, you'll also get connected with other house music lovers the world over. And finally, if you want to get in touch with me, Matt Rouse, you can do it directly on Instagram at DJ Matt Rouse. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. See you next time. House Culture. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 